the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. It's back. We're we back, are, baby. We are back. We are back. We've got a great show planned across the Outkick Network, which includes the YouTube channel. We'll hope you'll search for Outkick there and hit that subscription button. You can join us in the chat. Trey Wallace will join us in 20 minutes. SEC and college football from Outkick.com's SEC reporter. Uh, Trey coming up in 20. Plus Armando Salguero. Uh, Chad saw a lot of him earlier this morning on Don't At Me with Dan Dockich. He returns on the show coming up in about an hour and a half. And Mike Pereira is back with us in hour number three. Chad, good afternoon. Hutton, this week, and I say this as an enormous compliment, has flown by. Yeah, it has. Just flown by. Like supersonic jet fast. This show is going to do the same. I can feel it already. Let's go. Let's go. It's uncommon that we see NFL coaches disagree with what ownership does in regards to rules. For the most part, but by and large. And the latest chatter around the league at OTAs, at the voluntary OTAs, if it's not about which players are not there, coaches are now reacting to the fact that there's going to be a fair catch rule applied to kickoffs in 2023 across the NFL. This is due to concussion protocol. They're trying to, the league, cut down on the number of concussions. That's what this comes down to. And I say it's uncommon because... Coaches like Andy Reid have been very outspoken about it. I don't know. We'll have to go through all that. I, uh, my, my thing is, where does it stop, right? So you start taking pieces, and, uh, you know, we'll see how this goes. But you don't want to take too many pieces away or you be playing flag football. Flag football there coming from the offense that looks like flag football with how they spin the football. Chad, they can now... You can now take a fair catch on a kickoff next season inside the 25-yard line, outside of the end zone, and you're going to get the ball at the 25. We, we have seen this in college football, and while I'm not a fan of the rule, I understand the concept of why they're doing it and why, honestly, they ignored special teams coaches who were out front and said they opposed this. John Harbaugh, by the way, joins in with Andy Reid on his opposition of the rule change. 19 concussions on kickoff return, according to Pro Football Talk, uh, uh, last season. Only eight of those 19 were able to be confirmed or spotted on film. That's why they ignored the coaches and the players in regards to this, because this comes down to concussions and the battleground for lawsuits. They're trying to minimize that in the long term. And also, the kickoff rule, where you can fair catch now, that is like uh, on the list of things that make the NFL look like flag football, so far down the list for me compared to the rules changes we've noticed and that they've adapted to for the last decade. Is, is football going to be the same? No, it's not. You're not going to see the, the jacked up segments on ESPN. In fact, they don't replay the hardest hits in the, in the game in a, in a highlight reel and a snapshot of what happened on, on that Sunday. Because a guy's going to wave his hand and take a fair catch at the three and get the ball at the 25, that's not going to end the league. I'm, I'm surprised that we've seen the pushback even after the owners voted this through earlier this week. So we had Ross Tucker on earlier with Armando when I was filling in for, for Don't At Me with Dan Dockich. And he said you know, he lost his career. That was his last play was uh, on special teams when he was in the NFL in 2007 where there was, that was when the wedge was still legal. Yeah. And he came up and he couldn't feel his arm. 
you know, after taking a hit and, and uh, I think fractured a, a vertebra in some way. The thing to look at also here is very few injuries have been taking place with the kick returner. It's with people blocking for it. Well, that doesn't go away because you can now fair catch. Some of it at the end of it does, but it's not like you just don't play the play out and you know think that they're going to fair catch every time, right? So there's still a chance for people to get hit in the lead-up to it, blocking, trying to cover the kick before the fair catch happens. So I'm with you, Hutton, on the list of things that I think about that make football look like flag football at times. This is so far down the list. I also just do not have a visceral response to this rule. I don't see it's, where it really takes anything away. It's been going on in college for a while. Yeah, I don't see it taking a lot away from the college game. I think they implemented this rule two or three years ago is when it started, the fair catch inside the 20. I, I just I think well, it's, I think it's pretty inconsequential, but for one part of it that I understand, if you are a special teamer hanging on in the league or a special teams coach, I'd be worried. Because a big part of your responsibility and your job possibly is about to go away. What the, the reason why they've implemented this this year? They had the where they moved the kickoff up, and for that first season where they moved the kickoff up in the league, teams were just bombing it through the end zone. Right, like kickers in the league would just kick it through the uprights on the opposite end, and you get the touchback. But then special teams coaches went to the drawing board and figured out, oh, we can coffin corner this and actually pin a team deep. Let, let's try to actually set up a return and force them to have to return the kick instead of just giving it to them on, uh, on the touchback. That's why the special teams coaches are opposed to it because if you have a good kicker and you're really good on special teams, you can use that to your advantage. But the numbers on the concussions is why they're just taking this out altogether. And quite frankly, I'm not going to be surprised when the play is done altogether. Like you just take the ball in the 25. As exciting as a kickoff return can be, that's what the the owners are trying to save money for the league in the long term by by you know window dressing what is and what is not a concussion and the plays that it's going to happen with. And you're right about the numbers; it's not on the returner. Yeah, it's it's mainly on uh, on it's, the periphery it's of the play, covering it or blocking it is is where it happens. And it seems like a half measure. It seems like the full yep. measure they want is no more kickoffs. You just take the ball to 25 and be done with it. And that's the last thing that old school football people want combined with anyone who makes a living in special teams, whether that be back end of the roster guys on the 53, practice squad guys, coaches that are a part of special teams. It's eliminating a big part of their jobs. And I feel like 20 years from now, there's going to be football fans who even forget about the kickoff. I think this thing's going to be done in the next five years. I, I could see it. In 20 years from now, we're going to be looking at them saying, hey, remember that antiquated old system where they would kick the ball off and guys would run it back? Does anyone remember a man by the name of Devin Hester who was a great kickoff returner? I really do think that it's going to go that way. It's like a lot of things. When you take it away, you know, eventually you get 10, 15 years removed and you almost forget it even happened. That's going to be the kickoff in football. That's where we're headed. Patrick Mahomes, speaking of the Chiefs, is about legacy more than money. Um, and, and legacy and winning rings more than a contract extension and a bump in pay. Currently, he's seventh in average annual value. He's the best quarterback in the NFL. And 
we know through uh, Brent Veach, Brett Veach, that their general manager, that once Burrow and Herbert end up with their extensions, Mahomes is then going to get an extension as well, and they're going to make sure he's not further down the list of the average value for a contract for quarterbacks. But I loved, I love the honesty about uh, wh- where he's coming from on this. He's got a ton of money, and he said at some point, if you want to continue to win rings, I've got to make sure that underneath the salary cap structure, I give my team the luxury and the space to go out and do something or keep good players around me that I want here. And he went on to say, it's not about being the highest paid guy, but there is a delicate balance. This is where I thought he was really honest because it is about money, but it's also about resetting the bar. The next guy resets the bar at the position for the the following player to do the exact same thing. Instead of falling back into order and the salary goes down, the numbers keep going up. The next player to sign will be the highest paid player in the NFL. Mahomes will be that again soon. And he's like, I've got to balance both looking out for the position. He did specifically mention quarterback money and also value the fact that I want Travis Kelsey to stay here. I want to make sure that uh, you know, we have the best offensive line and weapons around me. Defensively, we have everything we need. I, I love what he said. And the, I mean, Brady's known for doing this. Rodgers didn't do it a year ago in Green Bay. And his structure now in New York gives New York a lot of leeway on the cap. Jalen Hurts, team-friendly deal that will benefit the Philadelphia Eagles. And Mahomes is saying he wants to do that as well. Key word here is trust. Patrick Mahomes trusts that organization, trusts Brett Veach, trusts Andy Reid, trusts the Hunt family, trusts everyone in that organization to not only do what's right by him, but to help him understand what's right for the organization and how they can constantly be in contention to win a Super Bowl. That level of trust by a guy who drafted him and by the organization that brought him in, tough to replicate. Tom Brady had it. He took the pay cuts we talked about. He did team-friendly deals for that reason. There's a level of trust there. Now we compare that to uh, a Kevin Byard with the Titans. Not the same position, but he's the star of the defense as a safety. There isn't that trust. A different GM drafted him. A new GM comes in immediately, and his first action is to meet with him, ask him to take a pay cut so he can form the roster the way he wants. There's no trust there. New guy comes in, new boss. I don't know him. I don't trust him. I like the old guy. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to go to OTAs. I'm not going to take a pay cut. I'm not going to help the team in any way because I'm not the problem. You can see the psychology of it and how anyone in those shoes would feel that way. Take Kevin Byard of the Titans aside. Anyone would feel that way in a new situation with a new boss when you were hired by someone else and someone else is taking over and their first course of action is to approach you about a pay cut, even though you've been doing your job and doing it well. Now you've got Patrick Mahomes who's won two Super Bowls, Drafted by that same guy, drafted by the same ownership, coached by the same guy, and what does he do? It's about legacy, not about money. I know I'm going to get paid a lot. I'm already a millionaire. Not as worried about that. I'll make a few less dollars. It'll be a fair contract, but I'll make a little bit less if you can re-sign the guys I want and keep this team competing for a Super Bowl. Trust is key across all sports, but especially in the NFL when you're a quarterback, It's a big part of it, and there's no reason for Patrick Mahomes not to trust the Kansas City Chiefs and all the powers within that organization, and that's what we're seeing. 
Chad, yesterday we, we discussed the NBA Finals. We expect Miami to advance. They could tonight uh, in what is uh, Game 5 against Boston. Uh, we know the Denver Nuggets are already there. But the, the headline yesterday wasn't about the Nuggets. It was about LeBron James and whether or not he's played his final game based on how he ended the presser at uh, their, their home venue, their crypto arena, where it was cryptic in a way on how he said he's got to you know, analyze some things and figure some things out in the offseason. We both said we don't think he's done, but the headlines were about LeBron getting swept instead of the team that swept them. And Charles Barkley, he's not happy with it. He wants the attention to be on Jokic in Denver. I think we have audio, right, of Barkley saying this. Yeah, let's let's hear from Charles Barkley about this. I was so mad this morning, I had to turn the TV off because the Denver Nuggets, who have been the best basketball team in the world all season, sweet, get to the finals for the first time. Now, you know Mike Malone, I love him, but he's whiny. But he does have a point. No, he has a great point. He has a great point. No, a great point. I, I mean, I was like, and I love Mike Malone. I cannot wait. Michael Malone. If you love if you really love him, call him Michael. Okay, okay. Michael Malone. <laughs> I can't wait to get to Denver. Hey, Sean Payton, I got your text. You and Payton, we're playing Council Pines. I'm ready. <laughs> he's all over the but, place. No, I know. No, but I was so glad. I was so mad watching TV this morning to everything. Listen, we all love LeBron. He didn't say he was retiring yet, but he does say we'll do all that that stuff. (laughs) But it should have been all about the Denver Nuggets and Joker, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, and those guys. So he was mad watching TV that morning. Let's go ahead and say what he was watching. He was watching ESPN. He's watching SportsCenter. Who's only going to talk about the Lakers because they drive the boat with ratings and eyeballs. They're going to talk a lot about the Dallas Cowboys. Why? Because everybody cares about the Dallas Cowboys, whether you love them or hate them. The New York Yankees, that's going to be a lot of the focus of it also. I don't have a lot of problems with things that Charles Barkley says. This is one that I do, though. Because when he talks about the, the idiots in the media and everyone doing this, you are the authority. You are the media here. You are the man. You are the power. You are inside the NBA. You are what people tune in for more than anything else with the NBA. So don't sit and complain about others talking about the Lakers. I I don't watch inside the NBA all the time. I seriously doubt that the inside the NBA crew has spent a season leading off with the Denver Nuggets on their broadcast and talking about them. Why? Because the Denver Nuggets do not move the needle nationally. And they are a national show. So I don't want to hear this knee-jerk response to watching ESPN in the morning because they're talking about the Lakers, which their bosses, I'm sure, told them to talk about LeBron and the Lakers because everyone knows about LeBron and the Lakers, and not everyone knows about the Denver Nuggets. You're the media. You're the authority on the NBA. Tell me about it. I want to hear about it from you. We tune in to hear your opinions. If you guys want to talk for 45 minutes of your hour-long show about the Nuggets, do so. Don't talk about other media members with that. And here's the other thing. you got a co-host on Inside the NBA, and I love Charles Barkley and I love Shaq. But Shaq on the other end of the table, when Rory Hachimura was traded from the Wizards to the Lakers, said, honestly, I don't know who this is. A guy who was a star at Gonzaga and played for the Wizards. Why does he not know who it is? And I believe the exact quote from Shaq was, because it's not my job to know who plays for the Bullets, is what he said. (laughs) I don't know anyone who plays the Bullets because they're not relevant. Well, I'm here to tell you the Denver Nuggets and the Washington Wizards are about equal in national media attention and what people care about. So you can't say if you're Shaq, I'm not paid to know one member of the Washington Wizards, as he says, the Bullets, which that part is funny, 
But when he says that, and then turn around and have your co-host complaining about national media only talking about LeBron. Can't have it both ways. You set the agenda. You set the narrative. You're the authority in the biggest show in the NBA. Spend your entire show talking about the Nuggets. Go ahead. Tell us about them. It's not their fault. It's your fault. I, I don't like it. That's well, one of the few things I don't like from Barkley. Well, here's, here's why both are going to happen. The focus can be on LeBron yesterday because game one of the NBA Finals is a week from tonight. We have to wait another week, even if Miami knocks off Boston. That's when everyone will be, you know, Denver happy, that, That's when a lot of America will but, say, man, this team's pretty good. Yeah, or, or yeah, who is who's this, this team? Who's this but We kind of knew that. Jokic they're, guy. They're the number one seed, and we don't really know that much about them because they're the, you know, they're the boring Denver Nuggets. That's the perception of them. Meanwhile, you have the flash of Hollywood in Los Angeles. And with LeBron and the way he answered questions and was very relaxed, by the way, at the post, that was the story. Jokic and, and company, they're going to get theirs. And the hype for the, for the finals that could feature an eight seed taking on the Denver Nuggets, it is going to be so tiring. Like we, we will long for another storyline in the buildup for game one because it's that far away. And it's also, just in general, it's not... Again, I, I know Charles Barkley's talking about ESPN. It's not ESPN or any one media's responsibility to give credit. And what I mean by that is ESPN's talking about what they think most people want to hear about. And you're right, on the day after that press conference, it's is LeBron James going to retire? That's going to lead the, the conversation. Because you, you've got time with the Nuggets. A ton. They're going to be in the finals after that. So I get it. Like, yes. The cool part of this story are the ascension. It's the ascension of the Denver Nuggets and Jokic being a really fun player to watch. It's very unique and different. I understand all that, but I think there's a bigger conversation to be had about responsibility of sports media to hype something or give something credit as opposed to just talking about what the majority of your audience wants to discuss and wants to hear. That's a topic for another day. Trey Wallace about to join us. The topic in college football right now is the new revenue distribution that the ACC has agreed to. We will discuss that and then compare it to the SEC and Big Ten model and ask the question, when does it stop? Is it just getting started? That's next on Hot Mike. Hot Mike rolls on across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, Hutton and Withrow. You can check out the show on demand wherever you download your podcasts. Outkick.com is one of those spots. You could also, uh, on any of the apps, just search out Outkick or Hot Mike, and we hope you'll subscribe there. Trey Wallace joins us from Outkick.com. Trey, always great to see you, man. Hope things are well. It's great, man. San Francisco is wonderful this time of year. I hope you guys are doing great as well. Trey, I'm, I'm looking at your backdrop, and I just keep hearing the theme to Full House <laughs> playing my head. I honestly plan on stopping by there here just a little bit, so I'm going to make a day out of it, to be honest with you. Tell tell Danny and the whole gang we said hello, if you do. Exactly. Trey, the ACC has agreed to a new revenue-sharing model. It didn't take very long. And I'm curious, just as you were digging into this, 
Florida State, Miami, Clemson, and others, are they actually going to get enough to make them happy, or is this just window dressing for what's to come? Yeah, I think this is just window dressing, guys. I think this is something that's going to please them for right now, and I think down the road, you're going to see a way out of that grant of rights uh, in terms of that ESPN contract. Like, I mean, they were agitated, you know, the, the, the seven schools and they were mainly comprised of the three big ones for, you know, when you, when you have Clemson, you have Miami um, and you got Florida state and, and, and they didn't feel like they were getting a fair share of the revenue that they feel like that they draw in when it comes to football ratings. Um, and, and I tend to agree. I mean, you know, when you look at it, nobody's paying attention to, you know, no offense to any people out there listening, but like Wake Forest and Virginia, sure. you know, on a Saturday night, they're more ready for Clemson, Miami or Florida State versus somebody else. Like, just going to get better ratings. And I think, you know, it also, you know, it's also the postseason as well. You know, if, if you got teams that are, you know, take Clemson, for instance, who played in the Orange Bowl last season against Tennessee, um, you know, the share of money that they got from, the Orange Bowl itself, yeah, a little bit went to Clemson, but you have to remember too that that these conferences put these things in a pot, money in the pot. They spread it out uh, to the different schools. So, look, what what they wanted was an additional uh, eight to ten million dollars a year. Um, I, I think right now we don't really know what the plan is. The ACC says we have a plan, uh, but I'm interested to see what it was to get to get them. And when it comes to postseason play, like if you make the playoff. You know, okay. Do you get an extra two million dollars for making the playoff um, NCAA tournament? You make the Sweet Sixteen, you get a little extra Elite Eight, so on. Um, I, I think that's going to be the biggest incentives that they can get right now, because because you can't base it off like television ratings either. Like, okay, Florida State pulled a, a two point five you know rating, so let's give them this amount of money. No, they're they're going to have to do this all postseason. And um, it, it just, I, I said it the other night, guys, this is a Band-Aid to fix a really bad wound, and, and they're going to have to figure out how to change it again, or they're going to have to just figure out how to leave the conference. So um, my mind's on the 90s now with that Full House reference. You know, in the 90s, you'd go to right. a Blockbuster Video or go to a video store, and you'd have your buddies together at someone's house getting ready to watch a movie. And this ACC plan that they've devised or that's being leaked out about future performance and wins and losses – this would be the equivalent of if, if seven buddies, let's say we're the schools now, we're seven buddies, we're getting together to go to the video store, we want to watch a movie, and all seven say, hey, mom, go get us a comedy. We want something really lighthearted. Go get us a comedy. That's what we want. And your mom comes back with The Shining. <laughs> That's what this ACC plan is. What the seven schools are claiming, Trey, and you know this full well, has nothing to do with future performance or future wins and losses. It's all about no. what we've already delivered in eyeballs and ratings and brand to the conference, so reward us for it moving forward. And instead, the ACC is knocking around the idea of awarding anyone that wins in the conference, which I, I think is counterintuitive to what these seven schools want, right? Am I, am I missing something on this? No, you're not missing anything. And the other fact is this is not starting until 2024, 2025. So it's not like they're getting any additional revenue this year off this, Chad. This is this is going to take a year, year and a half to figure out how they're going to do this and distribute revenue. Yeah, certainly it's going to be uneven, but you know, it, it, you just you have to rely on these teams when it comes to 
pulling in cash from television ratings itself and even these bowl games. I mean, you know, Florida State looks like a team on the way back, okay? When Jordan Travis, a quarterback, Mike Norvell, maybe has things going on down there. You know, we'll see that first game of the year gets LSU and Orlando. But think about it this way. Think about the draw that that game is going to have on national television against LSU in Orlando at the Citrus Bowl. It's going to be on that Sunday night by itself, Labor Day weekend. So, you know, what What Mike Alford from the AD from, from Florida State said, like, wait a minute. We're we're drawing in all this revenue. We're we're doing this, not not Virginia, not North Carolina football. No offense to Mac Brown or anybody like that, but we're the ones doing this, and, and you know, and and they want their cut right now. So the ACC comes back and says, "Well, we're going to figure out a plan to put this together, and we can help you out down the road." All this is like I'm telling folks, and I, I talked to multiple people about this this week. This is going to be something in three years. We're going to see conference realignment again, and I think you see Clemson. I think you see Florida State. Um, I would say Miami. Maybe we'll see, but there's going to be some moves made out of the ACC. This is just a quick fix right now to make them happy in the moment. There's a story up right now at Outkick. Uh, I believe Hookstead wrote it about Paul Feinbaum's thoughts on Florida State and, and the fact that he doesn't believe that Florida State brings all that much value if the SEC was looking to expand or have a further conference realignment. Do you agree? And if so, who are the one or two schools that do? I think I think Paul Feinbaum, if I'm not mistaken, Paul Feinbaum said he thought North Carolina should be the team that should get the look. Um, and, and I think the reasoning behind that was because in the South Carolina market, okay, we've already got the Gamecocks. Um, and yeah, Clemson would be a nice added bonus to that. Um, Florida State, Okay, you've you've got the Gators. Um, it, it's I know Florida State is a national brand per se. It's not like Florida State's done much in the last let's just say ten years to make it interesting to watch them, only to maybe see them get beat. Um, I, I think I think Paul Feinbaum makes a good point about that. Uh, I thought Hook did a good job putting that together, and I think overall you you look at this in general, and it's just which teams are going to draw, man. Mario Cristobal, we don't know what he's going to do at Miami yet. Mario, they Miami could be looking for a new coach in three years. We just don't know. So what is a sure thing right now? A sure thing to me from a just a national brand, just by the name, Clemson. And then you got to throw in Florida State in there because of the history of it, in my opinion. And then you see what Miami does. Um, because everybody, the, the biggest thing too about that is you want those viewers south of Gainesville. Like, you got the Panhandle, you got the Tallahassee, you know, you 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 got the Florida Gators, it's just going to, you know, the, the Tampa, Ocala, the Gainesville, you're going to have fans here, but you want that South Florida television market. And, and I think that's why Miami is going to be so lucrative for somebody to grab them and get them in their conference because, really, it's the same reason – why the Big Ten went out and got Rutgers. They didn't get Rutgers because they were a good team. They got Rutgers for the television market they're in. So it's not just about if you can play football or not. It's about what kind of eyes can you bring to the table. Yeah, and is it a combination of both television markets and brand? And and you brought up the perfect example, Trey, with the Big Ten. 
all about the New York market with Rutgers, right? Even though we can sit here and argue that it doesn't really give you the New York market. Um, the D.C. market, yeah. Baltimore market with Maryland when they added them. So, Paul Feinbaum, North Carolina is the one to me. You get the state of North Carolina. You're not currently in that state. Uh, Virginia or Virginia Tech to get that state that you're not currently in. Florida State, Miami lets you own the state of Florida in college football at that point. So Clemson is the best brand, though, in college football, which would make sense, but you've already got South Carolina. It's akin to when the Big Ten added Nebraska, right, originally. You don't get the big TV market, but you get Nebraska, which is a big-time brand. So what makes the most sense right now in 2023? Is it more about brand or more about television market you're opening up when you add a school? Well, it's also what the Big Ten did with USC and UCLA. Let's be honest. The Big Ten could have just gotten USC and been happy with the Los Angeles market just by grabbing them. But they decided, okay, we're going to take the whole damn L.A. market. We're going to grab UCLA as well, and we'll grab them both in our conference, and we'll be good when it comes to the West Coast. I think that when you look at the ACC, if there's a school outside of Clemson, um, in Miami because of that South Florida television ratings and whatnot. And I get what you're saying when it comes to, you know, the, the brand and also the viewers. North Carolina would probably hit it because there's a lot of people watching North Carolina basketball. Um, I think that that is forgotten in a lot of this. Um, you have got the power uh, of Jumpman behind North Carolina with Michael Jordan. Um, you have got the, the history of North Carolina basketball. And then you've got North Carolina football that's not really that bad. I mean, they're, they're, they would be like Missouri, in my opinion. Um, they'd be A&M if they don't figure out what they're doing in College Station. But, you know, like North Carolina is a school that's going to get a lot of attention this year with Drake May. Um, I, I, I would imagine the SEC would love to have that type of attention, those type of ratings. But I think overall, I think you got to try to find a mixture of both, Chad. And that's the biggest thing to me that stands out is that, you know, you're you're getting one with Clemson, with the brand. I don't think the tele, I don't think you're gonna add enough television viewers because of Clemson and the state of South Carolina to really make a difference. You go out and get North Carolina, you're adding a huge chunk. You you got the Charlotte market, um, and, and now you're adding in rest of the state of North Carolina, and you kind of go from there and see if you want to pick and choose somebody else, maybe like NC State or something down the road. But I think I think you have to find that fine line between brand and television ratings and figure out really what's most important to you right now. Trey Wallace with us, Outkick.com, is where you can read his work. You can also check out the Trey Wallace podcast. Josh Pate, uh, the guest this week. Um, Deion Sanders, we know the, the primetime effect on uh, the Colorado program. What does it look like ticket price-wise right now for home and road slate of the first part of the season for Dion? It's wild. You know, I, I went down a rabbit hole last night, and I was so caught up in getting ready for SEC meetings next week and going back on the ACC and what's going on in the Big Ten. I was like, what, what's the ticket price look like? I'm one of those guys who wants to know what ticket prices look like around you know, any sport. And, and I looked at Colorado. I like, you got to be kidding me. $450? Just to sit in the upper level of Folsom Field, which I don't really technically think there's like an upper level. It's just, you know, one big bowl and you kind of, but 450 bucks to get in, $1,100 to sit along the sideline on the 10 yard line. And we're talking about the, the home opener 
against Nebraska. It is it is a higher price ticket than tonight's Boston Miami game. It's a higher price ticket than Texas and Alabama last season in Austin. And and when you look at it, and I think when the market kind of settles down, probably going to be one of the highest price tickets that we see in the first couple of weeks of college football. Um, Deion Sanders has had an effect, man. Ticket brokers are loving him at this moment. And and you, you know, even the home. Their 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 opener at TCU, where I know what TCU is coming off of, but they lost a lot. You can't get in the door under three hundred dollars right now. So it's it's amazing to see what Deion Sanders, you know, just the name brings to the table when it comes to financials. And you know they, you know, I I, I didn't want it to be missed in the article. You know, they host USC in the month hmm. of September as well. You can get to the USC game right now for two hundred twenty bucks. Compared to that season, you know, home opener against Nebraska, where you know you're going to have to pay a mortgage payment. So it's it's interesting to see how these coaches do, and especially for a team, Jonathan, that won one game last year. So that's a lot of money being put in for a team that I don't think is going to be very good. I think it's going to look like a JUCO team uh, with all the new players that are involved in the program. I don't think that they hit that win margin or prediction that everybody's throwing out. But there's excitement around the program. His first home game, Matt Rule, let's not forget, bringing Nebraska in. There's a lot to it right now. So uh, it was surprising to me. Definitely was. What are the one or two, three bullet points that will be uh, on the docket for the SEC meetings next week you'll be covering? You know, I, I think if this eight-game schedule that, that I keep hearing this week and last week that, that, that ADs and coaches – you know, there there are there's a good amount. I'm not going to say a majority. There's a good amount of, of ADs and coaches that that would prefer to stay with an eight game model if they're not getting any extra revenue from the Southeastern Conference. I mean, I'm sorry, the, I'm sorry, ESPN. Um, the nine game model makes most sense to me because if you go to eight game, you're, we're going to get rid of some rivalry games, and I think that should still be on the table. Um, you know, I'd, I'd hate to see you know. Um, uh, Auburn, Georgia, go away, or Alabama, LSU. I'm just throwing a couple out there right now, but they would go away um, if they decided, you know, to do an eight game model. So, you know, I think the biggest thing right now is that, you know, the conference is at a point where ESPN cannot promise them more money if they go to a nine game conference schedule. So you got some ads and presidents around the, the conference are going. Well, why would we do that then? Why would we risk, you know, uh, not being able to play a Bowling Green or a Kent State, you know, and, and get a nice win, you know, because you take them one off the schedule. So I'm looking at that. Um, I'm looking to see, you know, how Jimbo Fisher reacts in SEC meetings compared to what we were doing. Guys, I remember coming on the show last year, and it was a, a war between Saban and Jimbo as we got down to Destin. Um, and, and I think the other ones, Kirby Smart, He's going to have to explain what's going on right now at Georgia. Uh, there's too much off-the-field drama with the Bulldogs right now. I want to hear him talk about that. And then the other one, I'll leave it at this, it's been kind of quiet. But there's a situation that's playing out right now at Auburn behind the scenes with an investigation by the university that are looking into alleged illicit videos involving their star running back. That's something that I'm interested in seeing what Hugh Freeze or John Cohen decides to say 
next week at spring meeting. So we got a lot on the docket. Look forward to joining you guys next week from there. And uh, we'll have a lot of content. Yeah, man. We, we uh, in the meantime, we'll check out your podcast with Josh. Uh, Pate, Pate State's always a great guest. So uh, always enjoy yeah. that, man. Hey, um, tell Uncle Jesse we said yeah. hi and his Beach Boys tribute band and the whole the Jesse enjoy and the, Rippers, the weather the out band. there. Yeah, they're great. I will. I'll enjoy the weather. And if I don't make it back, just know that San Francisco crime got me. So we're all good. <laughs> Trey Wallace. Uh, you can follow him on social at Trey Wallace underscore. Appreciate you, Trey. Having covered a uh, Super Bowl in that city, and we had a long walk from that convention center back to our hotel, Those uh, some of those streets will get you. Yes. You better you better keep your head on a swivel. Walking uh, at least one stretch, you better walk through very ginger. It's like post-apocalyptic when we yeah, were there they, on, on one block. Uh, L.A., oh, what, last year, they or two years ago, they did not uh, – well, they did. They swept the homeless. The homeless population. Uh, they put them population. under overpasses yeah, everywhere. They, and then you, uh, in, in San Francisco, they were just everywhere. I mean, yeah, it's sad. They, they just, yeah, they were, they were around. Yeah. Uh, Pat Narduzzi puts Dion on blast. Dion has recently put soft parenting on blast. That's next on Hot Mike. Last year, it was USC. That was the target. Lincoln Riley and USC, the target for Pat Narduzzi and the transfer portal. Now it's Deion Sanders and what he's seen at Colorado. Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow rolls on. Pat Narduzzi saying at the ACC meetings recently, uh, and he told this to Brandon Marcello, what's going on at Colorado? That's not what the transfer portal rule intended to be. It was not to overhaul your roster We'll see how it works out, but to me, it looks bad on college football coaches across the country. The reflection is on one guy right now, but when you look at it overall, those kids that have moms and dads and brothers and sisters and goals in life, I don't know how many of those 70 that left really wanted to leave or they were kicked in the butt to get out. That from Pat Narduzzi on Dion. He's not wrong, but this is absolutely how you go in and change a program and what Dion's doing by flipping the roster that had won one game. And if those guys, you know, are, are able to go and latch on to another team, great. But that's why you hire Deion Sanders. And quite frankly, that's what we're seeing with Hugh Freeze at Auburn, where they're one player away from starting a completely different 11 on offense than the group that, that was on their depth chart in, in January 1st of this year. That's the world that is college football right now. And Pat Narduzzi, um, you know, maybe he doesn't want to lean into the transfer portal. Maybe he's just like Dabo. But to me, that's survival right now. Yeah, it's – I don't want Deion Sanders to ever stop talking because I enjoy it when he says things. Because oh, I, ag I agree with him most of the time. But I do think if you're going to take the approach of, I'm doing this because I want to win in football – and that's it. I don't care if you signed up to go to school here. If you can't cut it, you're cut, and I may not even give you your highlight films uh, over, and you can go find another place. Then it also makes it a little bit more difficult to preach from your high horse. In your cowboy hat. In your Yellowstone hat also. Again, I want to hear him say things about everything because I enjoy it, and it's entertaining. But I think just that approach – when you take it completely the way Pat Narduzzi's talking about, it makes it difficult to talk about anything else other than football, which he is paid to win. I mean, there's, you know, I'm not, we're not naive. He's yeah. there to win football games. Yes. And 
by doing so, look at the – Trey just mentioned the ticket prices. That's crazy. From the spring game attendance to what we're seeing to get in for the home opener against, what, Nebraska? Yeah. $400 plus to sit up top. They're going to get killed. Yeah, so the ticket prices will go down. Yeah, I just – I don't see any way – I mean, I know they've got some good talent, Travis Hunter, you know, mm-hmm. some guys that were legit talent coming in, but – well, by they the don't way, have enough bodies to field a team this, that's going to be competitive throughout the season. This is just the beginning of the coaches that are going to get pissed off at Dion. Narduzzi is no, just scratching the surface. Uh, Dion, meanwhile, is complaining about soft parenting. Um, he was speaking to a, a group, a fundraising group, uh, recently out in Colorado. And he said, kids are different because parents are different. Parents are babying everyone right now. There's no tough, hard-nosed parents anymore. The reason is because most of us have done better than our parents, and we look back on our lives and say, you know what? When I'm a parent, I'm going to treat my kids so much better. I'm going to make sure that I get my kid that big wheel and that rock'em, sock'em robots that he really wanted. But here, he, could, he just keeps talking, Chad. Here is where he gets into like he, raising his own kids. He wanted some nasty, is what he said. He wanted, he wanted my, I wanted my kids, because we had wealth, I wanted them to have something nasty, some toughness, some mental toughness, capabilities. So when the world hit them upside the head, they ain't crying. And then he goes down to how he tr- wants to treat his players. He said, even talking to trainers, I've been talking to trainers all day today, and one of the things that I said is, look, man, I'm old school. I don't run out there unless I see bone and blood. I'm straight up. I'm straight up. If we run out there and he has a shoulder that's hurt, ain't nothing wrong with you. I will run out there and say, ain't nothing wrong with your legs. Get up. That from uh, the head coach at Colorado, Deion Sanders. So The tough love. Hun, we've conducted a lot of interviews in our time together. One of the maybe worst, also best interviews we've ever done was with Deion Sanders' son, Deion Sanders Jr. And my takeaway from that interview was this is one of the prickliest, most entitled little punks I've ever heard from in my life that clearly needed a whipping at some point as a kid. I can't hear that interview. I can't unhear it and not think that Deion Sanders maybe needs to follow his own advice. What was he talking when about? When I hear that? his son, he's talking about his clothing line That's right. and something else. But he came on to defend his dad because we were crushing him because he was an NFL Network analyst. He didn't know who Kevin Byard was yep. at the time. A guy who played a defensive back who was all pro. And he had no idea who it was. And he was sticking up for his dad, and he was tweeting us. Yes. We asked him to come on the show and defend his stance. And he basically started saying, we've never worked. We don't, we're, we're not successful. We don't know what success means. And then we started questioning him, what have you done to succeed other than being born to Deion Sanders? And he came up with something that was ridiculous. This is one where Deion may need to follow his own advice a little bit. I'd have a hard time if my kid sounded that entitled at all times oh, as Deion an adult. I probably wouldn't be lecturing people on how to raise their kids. They're, they're, just, uh, I'm just going to throw that out there. What he's saying, probably though, isn't wouldn't, uh, wrong. start the, the speaking It circuit. is a softer society. And For sure. And it's our age group that are the parents that are doing it. For sure. It, well, and it's only going to – I mean, I, I think the next generation will be even softer than we are. I think it's just getting softer and softer and softer. Not, not a good thing. No, no, and, and he's he's speaking on behalf of the of the kids he's recruiting too, you know the the complaints about literally everything. Can you imagine like getting a call from Dion compared to you know texting the other coaches? You know Dabo doesn't want now, you once you commit you don't go back on the commitment. You want to get really excited, Hutton? Think about Dion in the SEC at some point. 
and what the interaction with coaches will be like. Oh. Oh, He's in the Pac-12. Yeah, I know. He'll I be, mean, this is... He'll be soon in the Big 12. Yeah, this is flag football compared to the SEC that we're talking about right now. It's going to get a little rougher if he goes to the SEC. Now get used to Fort Worth. You're playing them on an annual basis. Yeah. TCU. And he'll be dabbling in rosters across the SEC, no oh, doubt. Oh, he will dabble. Coming up. He will dabble in your Georgia, roster. Georgia, back in the headlines. And so many that will ask, arrested or graduated? That's next.